Good afternoon. Welcome to the Channel Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we broadcast from NCC the Classic, which is underway in Kearney. Uh, interesting market trade that we saw today. You know, we know about the sanctions that are going on with Russia and China. Uh, what were those weekly export sales? But more importantly, is there a little bit of panic selling going on or panic marketing in general, and we know that corn dropped below $4 at one point as well. We're going to look at what happened in these market trades today with Sean Hackett. Sean is with Hackett Financial Advisors. And let's kind of start out there. It's a little bit of a panic at the disco, shall we say. What are you seeing in this panic trading pattern at this point, Sean? Well, I think once we broke the multi-year support levels last week, I'm doing basis at July contract, which was 450 corn, $12 soybeans, $6 wheat. Um, we just started hitting a cascade. Sell stops in the futures market. A lot of uh, basis contracts having to be priced at the, the you know, before expiration, and just a lot of farmers who are, are undersold. Banks putting pressure. So, so, so you get caught up in this mass liquidation event in both the cash market and in the futures market, and it then builds ahead of steam. And then people come up with reasons and excuses to why it's happening that then further fulfills it. And so that's where we're at. And it will end when we reach the maximum pessimism moment. And then the market will have a violent reversal. Typically, one particular day you'll see that. And then you'll have a a big weekly reversal week. That's what you kind of need to see, that the pressure's off and then we can start to trade your normal factors again. But at the moment, obviously, we are still in this kind of trade, and oftentimes it reaches a crescendo as you move into the end of the month. So moving to the end of the month, but as you look at these markets, how much more panic can we put into this trade action? And is there going to be some impulse knee-jerk selling because of it and maybe some buying on that side as well? Well, there's certainly knee-jerk selling going on right now, and I think that could continue into expiration next week um the the knee-jerk buying will occur susan the second the market has a violent reversal and everyone thinks that that they missed buying the bottom a lot of the hand-to-mouth buyers are going to start getting some extra coverage in a hurry and everyone's going to rush in to try to secure you know cheap corn and cheap soybeans that they feel that that the best is passed them by right now hand-to-mouth has been a winning strategy because every week it's been lower than the week before um, and so we need to be on the lookout for that, um, that day or that week where we get that big reversal because then, you know, then you get the flip, the, the flip side. All these speculators that are record short or percentage of open interest will want to buy back in as well. So you talk about the, the drop in, in what we're seeing, and I think we saw a little bit of that today in the corn market when it set a new low below $4. And I think a lot of folks thought, oh, we're not going to see corn drop below that $4 level at all during the month of February. Well, putting a three-handle on the corn market, if you wanted to maximize the panic in the marketplace, putting a three-handle on the nearby corn contract, that sends shivers down every farmer's spine to see a three-handle, which, as you said, no one was anticipating seeing it uh, you know, this early in the season or even at all. And um, you asked about downside target potential. If you go basis the July contract, there's possibility, these are just possible extreme targets, $4 July corn, $11 July soybeans, and five and a quarter July wheat are what I would consider to be extreme downside support levels that 
you have to go back multiples of multiples of years uh, to reach. Um, not that they have to be hit, but that's where we could go in a maximum panic moment. And if you just look at where those July prices are, we're not too far away, you know, from hitting them. So let's look at the flip side of that, because obviously we see corn drop to where it has, and we've seen some lower soybeans. From a livestock perspective, do they take advantage of this drop, or should they be taking advantage of the drop that's taking place? Any livestock producer that's been eating 6 $7 corn and $15 soybeans for the last several years, wondering, are they ever going to get a chance to get their economics in a better alignment, are now have an opportunity to do something smart, to do something that makes sense, not only in the near term, but in the long term. And no, we don't know for sure, is today the bottom, is next week the bottom. But as a livestock producer, you need to be starting a program of increasing your coverage, adding to your upside protections, and making sure you don't let these economical prices slip away. Because what we've noticed, certainly since 2020, we have a lot of volatility in the marketplace, up and down, and I'm not believing that the upside volatility is over, that we are going to see that come around again. And you don't want to be a livestock producer that's been handed some incredibly economic prices and say, I didn't take advantage of it when I finally had an opportunity to do so. So overall, I mean, how much of an influence, and we're going to have to probably talk about the sanctions in the second half, but looking at South America right now and their continued ebb and flow with this weather and, and the questioning now, that's coming out on what their true acreage numbers are, there seems to be a lot of geopolitical pressures that are working into this grain complex. Well, we, we've talked about this before, Susan. Geopolitics is going to be a big driver for the, for the foreseeable future. We're in an escalating geopolitical cycle. Sometimes geopolitics is upward volatility when we had the invasion of Ukraine. Sometimes the geopolitics can be negative. If you start putting sanctions and you start worrying about trade wars redeveloping like we had during 17 and 2018. And right now, it seems like these sanctions and the possibility of a President Trump you know, coming back if he gets reelected, you know, there's worry that we might have to go through another one of these you know, trade war situations that you know, the market obviously struggled with when he was president the last time. Maybe all this is just fear and it won't materialize, but that's the, what the market is currently trying to discount right now until it until it gets more information to clarify whether that fear is true or not. All right, well, stick around, folks. We've got a lot more coming up just around the corner, the second half of the Channel Final Bell comes up after this here on the Rural Radio Network. A best of both worlds product portfolio is one of the aspects to look forward to from the new channel brand in 2025. Here's Matt McGuire, new channel dealer from Wisner, Nebraska. With bringing in Fontenelle and Channel together, I think that our portfolios will also be second to none, especially on the, the corn side. It'll fill holes for both companies that customers may have seen there before, and I think it's just going to uh, make us really rock solid on the corn side. For more, contact your local Channel Seed Pro in Nebraska, Kansas, and Colorado. KRVN. Welcome back on this Friday to the channel Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Our conversation does continue with Sean Hackett. He's with Hackett Financial Advisors. So let's talk. We kind of left off with uh, talking about what's going on trade-wise. And I know that uh, the president did put some sanctions on both Russia and China. Having said that, it was interesting from a, from a petroleum perspective. But then we see the way the dollar reacted and how fast those grains markets reacted to those sanction possibilities continuing 
beyond the short term that the president's put in place. Well, like I said, I mean, we, we all have uh, we all remember what happened when President Trump had put uh, sanctions or tariffs and trade wars. And we're just fearful that we're going to enter another period like that where we had very low prices. We needed government subsidies to survive. Um, and, and it just seems like it seems like President Biden sees this as a political boat getter to go attack Russia and China. Um, and, and he's going to at least going in the election, you know, that's going to be his policy. Now, whether he follows through on that, if he gets reelected or not, is another story. But certainly the market is very fearful that um, if we lose these exports for a more extended period of time, you know, then the U.S. is, is in a serious situation of overproduction domestically unless we have a really bad crop problem, which obviously is not the best solution to, to taking care of an oversupply situation. You'd rather have it come from demand. So then, since you're talking about this political move, I know we're into this whole election season underway. We see E15, we've got eight states that we're pushing for it, but now we're not going to see it till after the election. So it's not going to come till 2025, when it easily could have been put year-round ethanol as easily as today, per se. For some reason, you know, and I'm not the ones that are advising President Biden, but for some reason, the advisors have decided that supporting biofuels, whether it's renewable diesel and the EPA backing away from their mandates or this, you know, uh, ethanol situation, they've seen that they don't believe this is a, they believe that supporting biofuels as, an, as a, a, a voting liability in this election year. That's what they have determined. So they are really off, you know, hands off until after the election, as you correctly pointed out, which means we're not likely to get any supportive move on their part unless the farming crisis gets so bad that they see that as a, as a way to buy votes later in the year. I, I know it, it sounds horrible that everything we're talking about is buying votes, but unfortunately, the way our politics work, that's what happens in an election year. All right, we got to switch gears and, and take a look at what's going on on the livestock side of the trade action. And let's talk a little uh, dairy action that's going on. I know that there is a reminder going out to dairy producers to enroll in the dairy margin coverage beginning here February 28th next week. What are your thoughts on what we're seeing within this dairy complex? The big thing is production globally is going down. Production in the U.S. I think has been down now six or seven quarters in a row. Um, we're seeing GDT auction prices, which are international cash prices that come out every two weeks, and we've seen five straight price increases, the last one being the largest. We have, it looks to me like demand is finally exceeding the supply of milk. And when you look at what's going on in the cattle market, what's been going on with how dairymen have been you know, breeding beef cattle, um, there's going to be a huge heifer shortage, in our opinion, going forward later in the year, so that if these prices start to get high in dairy and they're starting to move higher now, we don't believe that we can respond in the manner with which we've been accustomed to because the heifers are not there to rebuild the herd. And so we could be looking at a pretty wild situation for dairy prices and for dairy profitability You know, going into uh, later in the year, and especially into the first half of 25. So after an awful, awful year uh, in the past year for dairy, it looks like that could be one of the bright spots in the ag sector right now. And the positivity we're seeing, I mean, we've got it going on in the cattle and in the hogs today. 
to to start to wrap up a Friday trade ahead of report numbers that you and I haven't seen as of yet? Well, look, um, we know that typically uh, the, the livestock sector and the grain sector go in opposite cycles. When the grains are cheap, the livestock's high. When the livestock's low, the the the, the feed is high. You know, and so so now you know for two years we had struggling livestock and very high feed prices, and now we flip the switch. Set many years of poor margins have finally brought demand and supply into a better, more bullish balance. And so it looks to me, like I said, livestock is on the upswing, profitability is on the upswing, and it looks like the livestock sector is going to have a pretty good go of it as, as, so long as they lock in the economical fee for as long as it lasts. So it's really a, it's a win for them right now, and, and you know both sides of the aisle have to win every once in a while or else both sides you know can't operate on a sustainable basis. All right, great conversation today, Sean. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We also have a Twitter page at at Faridex11, F-E-R-I-D-E-X-11. If you want to kind of follow what we're thinking and how we're looking at the ag sector uh, in our cycles and work. All right. That is today's Channel Final Bell right here on the Rural Radio Network.